welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is with Jonathan Self, or Connor, as he likes to be known. Connor, not only being an author and dungeon master and bowl player, is also a big proponent of charity work within the RPG space, and we get to talk about the ways in which he helps out others run charity events and conventions, all for the betterment of our RPG and larger community. Also, a quick announcement before we begin this episode, if you're interested in seeing or hearing me do an RPG panel, I will be at OwlCon at Kennesaw State University, March the 21st, that's Saturday, March the 21st. Go into Kennesaw's website and look up OwlCon for more information. Otherwise, enjoy this episode. Episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Jonathan Self. How are you doing, John? Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, hey, everybody. My name is Jonathan Self. Uh, everybody calls me Connor. So uh, if I ever meet you out there, you say, hey, Connor. Uh, that's cool. Uh, I am a founder of D8 Summit Charities. We're a gaming charitable organization. We help organizations put on some of the best charity gaming events out there. Um, I'm a former local coordinator for Dungeons & Dragons Adventurer League, an avid author, and I'm really happy to be on your podcast today. Hey, it's a pleasure to have you on, Connor. Um, I have heard of you through some friends of mine and also friends of the show, and uh, you had an amazing kind of uh, story and uh, actions you do in your day-to-day that we'll talk about in a little bit, but let's start at the very beginning, Connor. What is your introduction to RPGs? Oh, that's a, that's a funny question. Okay, so it would have been 1991. I was a really obnoxious middle schooler, and uh, my uh, my buddy Bill picked up somewhere, and I don't know where he got it. Uh, uh, Marvel superheroes. Uh, so, so my introduction to RPGs was playing the the old TSR game Marvel Superheroes. Um, from there, uh, I was taken to an event at the local high school and taught how to play Dungeons and Dragons, in particular Dark Sun. So, all of you Dark Sun fans out there, that's where I cut my teeth in Dungeons and Dragons was was that game. And then it was a lifelong passion. From there, I I started playing and I never looked back. So when you started playing, was it something that came to you easily? Did you already have like a creative or outgoing personality? Eh, I, I I had a, a, a creative mind and, and didn't have a lot of good things to channel it into. Um, so uh, games of fantasy came pretty easy to me, make believe and, and pretend. Um, and uh, I I had a lot of uh, inspiration um, from, from family and uh, a, a, a a, a background in fairy tales um, and biblical stories and and uh, and the pieces were there uh, to en- enjoy fantasy uh, and uh, and it's just that I, I had that that outlet given to me by my friend Bill and and it, it, it worked out for me. 
But yeah, so you've started obviously in that Marvel kind of superhero background. Then you transition over to Dark Sun, which anybody who knows Dark Sun also understands it's kind of a dire sort of way of playing your games. Um, so, so, so <laughs> it's, it's pretty brutal, yeah. <laughs> a thousand percent, yes. From everything I've heard, of, from everything everyone's told me, it seems to be one of the harder uh, and more dreary settings you can play in the various kind of multiverse of games in the D&D and Wizards lore. Um, is that the type of game you'd like to run or play? So, personally, uh, I'd say no. Um, so, when, when it comes to the style of game that like I enjoy when I'm sitting and playing, uh, I actually really enjoy fairy tales. Uh, and uh, in particular, um, not like uh, Disney-esque, although, I mean, Disney tales are, are great. Don't get me wrong. I, I love a, a musical as much as uh, the next person. Uh, but I like the darker side of fairy tales. I, I like uh, uh, Grimm's fairy tales, uh, where the moral of the story is often uh, uh, told in a very dire way. Um, in, in Grimm's fairy tales, Han- Hansel and Gretel didn't survive that night. Um, they learned real quick that you don't, you know, when your parents tell you not to go into the woods because they're dangerous, you learn not to go into the woods because if not, the witch eats you. Um, so that that's the sto- sort of story that I really enjoy telling. Um, not necessarily just entirely dire, but you'll see through my writings, there's definitely that fairy tale theme with very dark elements um, that are at play that, that set off... Um, they set a dichotomy um, between the players and their uh, and their characters and their motivations, and um, the fae forces that are out there. Um, uh, fairies play a, a big role in a lot of my writing, um, and so uh, when they're bad, they're really bad. When they're good, they're still alien and then kind of bad. <laughs> so yeah, lots of that. That that would be my preferred style of play. Is that whimsical sort of. Uh, delightful fantasy setting. I would say, Connor, I'm fortunate enough to have multiple people gone who have either been authors or had been game developers. And I always think it's interesting when I have somebody on who marries the two worlds because I've always treated them as completely separate things. Like if anybody... Sometimes I'll explain uh, RPGs to a muggle or a layperson who doesn't play them, and they almost like start to go like, "Oh, so you're like a author, you're like a writer, you're creating worlds and stuff like that." And I, I've personally made the point to say like, "No, there's a completely uh, separate divide between playing as a dungeon master, a game master, and being an author." And a lot of that comes down to everything in writing you are ultimately the controller of, and it all has a narrative push towards an end goal. Nothing is wasted or use, useless because it's only created for that intent of pushing the story along. Whereas in D&D, RPGs, whatever you're playing, there could be three sessions dedicated to shopping, which have nothing to do with the overall arcs and people's own character stories. But th- that's the beauty of the uncertainty of you kind of throw the ball up, you throw up a softball, if I can make a sports term, but you have no idea where the ball is going to get hit back to. You just got to react. Right, yeah, and I I think that's a really good way to say it. Um, when you're when you're writing a novel, you you have you do you have complete control over everything down to the thoughts that those that those characters in your stories have. Now now a lot of authors would describe well when I create this character, I know what they would think, and so I go with that instead of what I think they should think. Um, but you still have a lot of control there. Um, RPGs when you're when you're writing for an uh, for a, a tabletop game. Uh, you don't have control over what your players make out of things. 
And uh, and so you have to just create a field for that game to be played in, like your softball analogy, and let it go. Yeah, and I think one of the uh, funniest things is when I'm playing as a dungeon master and game master, I still think like an author. Like I still, I, I've used this uh, multiple times now, and now with the advent of Twitch and people streaming their up uh, games, they call them episodes as opposed to sessions. And sometimes me and my players will talk about our game like it was a story arc or a TV show. We'll be like, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, we're in Ormung's arc right now. So, you know, my my focus on my character is to help, you know, help him kind of achieve what his ultimate end goal. And it's like, oh, this was a kind of funny episode we have. It was a shopping episode. Or tonight was the, the sauna episode or the filler episode. And like we use all these terms that are used in, in, in art and uh, storytelling and all that stuff when we play our games, which I think is very, very funny because at the end of the, the day, if we're being technical, it was just like improv, you know, it's a game, but we, we still want to push our narrative kind of like it is an established work. Yeah. And it, I think TV is a, is a good analog for, for how games play out. I mean, even down to you have um, the wind up in the episode, you have the premise of the episode, um, you have the characters interact through it. You try to find some resolution before you break for the night, um, if at all possible. And, uh, and then prepare for the next one. Yeah, I mean, TV show, that's a that's a really good analog. And if somebody were to come up to me and, and refer to their games as episodes, I wouldn't think that was weird at all. Not at all. And I do find myself wondering, though, sometimes where uh, I, I've been thinking of my game in such a way that eventually I, I started noticing that I do have almost TV tropes of my own when my D&D games, because not too long ago, uh, probably a session or two ago, we ended on the arrival to a city, and then I was just kind of like, all right, we arrived at the city. Cool. Uh, finished the session there. And then I remember one of my players looking at me and goes like, well, where's the cool like cliffhanger or like the, the, the character drop or like the character introduction, which is typically how I like to, you know, end the game was like, and then the door opens or then a loud sound happens or then this interesting character who I described shows up and says this one line and end session. And I was like, yeah, you know, I realized I, I, I kind of did that because for the longest part of my game, I mean, this my Monday game has been five years plus. For the longest part of my game, I, I was always like, well, I got to make it seem interesting. So end on a high and keep, give them a cliffhanger. But now that we're five years in, they kind of understand that there is such things as those filler episodes or travel, you know, sessions to where it's really just about getting from this point, maybe a small encounter or a small uh, social encounter. So it, I, I, I find myself realizing like, huh, that's funny. I, I didn't know I had been doing that subconsciously for years. <laughs> well, if, if if that is the worst habit you have, you, you are doing very well, sir, because that would – those little things that just hold people's interest, I mean, that that's that's the bread and butter there. That's what keeps people wanting more in that, in that week or two weeks between your session. Well, you've been playing for a little bit longer than I have. I mean, RPG experience for me is now roughly 10 years, but with maybe like a series five or six in there. What do you think is it that keeps your creative juices going and the games from becoming stale? Um, so I, I think uh, it's a couple things. If, if, I were to, if I were to isolate two things that, that keep everything from going stale, first of all, it's the interaction with the players. Because it was just like you were saying, you're like toss up the softball, don't know where it's going to land. That unpredictable element of not being quite certain where your players are going to go, that that goes a long way. Um, and, you know, trying to keep that fresh because they're going to always offer a fresh perspective on what's going on. You can talk to them about what they think about the experience and you can give them a, 
a good deal of narrative control over what happens in the story as as um, action agents in your story. But, you know, maybe even coast, you know, collaborators in telling the story um, and helping to create details and and set up scenarios or situations. So those players, I mean, they're a resource to keep to keep the games fun and lively. I haven't gotten bored yet because I mean, I'm sure if I had just told my stories the whole time, I would have gotten bored, but they won't let me get bored. They keep me on my toes. That's actually a great way to put it. They won't let you get bored. They're they're kind of there to help you and at the same time almost uh, put a fire underneath your butt to be like, hey, we expect an adventure this week or this you know month or however frequently you play. So like you better be on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that's uh, that's definitely one thing that keeps keeps me going. The other thing is that I just look out there and and I I love our hobby, but there are so many stories that need to be told that just don't get told um the uh our the our hobby is so well entrenched in the um in the tolkien mindset and tolkien was an amazing storyteller and a great thinker and an awesome guy um but but he he said a line of stories that went down and through um, great minds like dave arneson and gary gygax and uh and and continued uh, further, but those stories are only one kind of story you can tell, and uh, there there are stories that you can tell and, and narratives that you can push that are so radically different from the classic. I go into a dungeon, I beat it up, I take its stuff, sort of narrative, or or the or the traditional high magic fantasy narrative that you get in a lot of D and D settings. Yeah, I mean, we are, as I've mentioned probably on the podcast multiple times before, in the kind of renaissance of uh, RPGs thanks to a combination of really, you know, mass uh, popular media uh, appeal and that being featured, uh, amazing uh, new like mediums like Twitch coming out and shows like Critical Role, High Rollers, Dice Camera Action and, uh, you know, Hyper RPG stuff that they're doing it, that there's so many RPG systems now that, now that you're mentioning, you can kind of write a story about anything. And one of the last ones I was just watching was a very cute, adorable kind of high school, you know, uh, Breakfast Club meets Monsters story. And, you know, it was set in, you know, kind of semi-modern day, obviously, with all the tropes that are associated with, you know, jocks and nerds and et cetera, et cetera. And I, 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 the, the fact that it was an RPG, it, it never made it feel like, oh, well, it needed to be something. It was just, here's a system for resolving these actions, uh, but on the overall story that or game that somebody's trying to play. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's, there's just so much you can do, and, and you don't want to be limited. I, I wrote a, a story for Game Holcon uh, for Dungeons & Dragons. And the entire adventure happens in the headspace of a dead wizard who's trying to work through trauma and and personality fragmentation. That's the whole adventure. It's it it is next to no combat at all. It's really just working through working through and experiencing the traumas of a long dead wizard in the wizard's mind. I think. I yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to compliment you on that idea. Keep going. Yeah. Well, that that was that was the whole adventure. I, I was just like, I'm just going to write a psychodrama. I'm going to I'm going to take all these these experiences of this dead wizard and these personality elements. I'm going to give. I'm going to make them NPCs that 
people can interact with and then and then make space and time mean nothing and you know settings rapidly change from memory to memory and just and and, and then include a section for um hey dm do this sort of thing because i'm not going to write it down because it's going to really vary based on what you think is going to impact the players and based on the 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 ways that they decide to act in the, in the scenario uh just to push that design idea i mean we can tell so many great stories we don't have to get hung up in the in the in the classic uh um tolkien uh tolkien trope and you know you oh, i was going to compliment you was I've always loved adventures that don't rely on hit points or some impressive, um, you know, weapon or something like that. I've always loved adventures that in and of themselves have a sort of like, um, I, I'm trying to find the English for it. I, I think that there's like an, an absent of, of system, absent of like wanting to get loot and XP. There's an there's a, a, a hook like in the case of like what's happening to something uh, a great mage who's got amazing powers whose then mind starts to fall apart so what does his layer start to look like after a while or what does his perception of reality start to look like a while i think that's something that i would read even if i wasn't into you know D D or rpgs and i've always liked that one in the adventure there's almost a a, a non um gaming sort of story in there and then the gaming obviously the dcs and the locked doors and the you know bandits that attack and you know rocks that fall on you are just a supplement yeah well i um i i think that um ravenloft did that really well in in the in the D D canon um where it's really a um, so it's a D&D adventure, uh, but it's really just a disguised uh, personality tale. Um, you know, it, it's it's um, it's a it's a case study into um, one man who um, who let his passion overtake him and and his and his life just spiraled out of control. Yeah, and not spoiling too much about that adventure. It's also very much a love story, an obsessive love story, but a love story as well, and. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, oh yeah, and a very very creepy love story um, at that uh, because yeah, obsession over your brother's girlfriend that was unreturned is kind of odd. But like like I said with uh, Michael Serbuk, another fan of uh, and and that panelist uh, also guest on the show like that is probably one of our favorite uh adventures that has been released ever and i've i've had over a year worth of content just from that one and i didn't even scratch the surface on how much was there because the idea of a great setting which is also partially you know mirrored in the old like horror tropes right we're talking you know go of of you know ghosts and hags and werewolves and you know vampires and etc cetera, etc cetera. But also at the same time, like a super charismatic character who's super deep beyond just, you know, I'm big bad and I have a bunch of hit points. And then also like moments that are stated, like when playing Strahd and like, and I think I remember this being either explicitly in the book or at least partially in the book as, as we were told to interpret it. Like he's not the type of character who waits till the very end of the dungeon or the castle. He's the character who sees you early on and just makes his presence known and then leaves. Or he messes with you for a little bit and lets you fight and think you get the upper hand and goes. And he starts playing this game, playing this kind of psychological effect, which, you know, is, again, breaking that trope that we have usually in most video games to where you don't get the 
big bad until the end of the dungeon, and then you just get a boss battle with him. It, with Strahd, you, you're supposed to play him as something way more um, cerebral, and that's super, super fun and different uh, for a game that at the end of the day is still, do I hit? How much damage do I do? All right, go on. Yeah, yeah, you are absolutely right. No, that uh, that when you're talking about those stories, though, telling you stories in a in a great way, uh, the the Hickmans did an amazing job when they when they created um, that setting. They just they just did stellar work, um, and uh, I mean, you can understand where the bad guy's coming from. You're going to you're going to interact. Uh, with the big bad numerous times throughout the entire story arc. Um, and you're going, it, when you, when you discover more about the story, first of all, you can see just how messed up a character, like how flawed, um, a character, the, the big bad is, but there's something that has you sort of empathizing with them a little bit too. And, and to have a villain that's both vile and disturbing and terrible, but also relatably human is, uh, is is pretty meaningful and i don't think that you get that with a lot of the other big bads that you experience in DD games they're not necessarily relatable that is very true i think the most popular characters are probably the ones that have either a a, a i'm not going to use the word gimmick i'm going to say a quirk that makes them feel more human than any of the other beasts so like tiamat is great because she's got this lore that comes obviously from a real mythology base, but she's got this lore also built up in the D world and she's very powerful with her five heads and all that. But Xanathar is really memorable because of his personality. And if you read, you know, any Xanathar book and you see the notes that he adds and the, the wackiness and his obsession with the goldfish, like that's what makes Xanathar very, very memorable. The same way Strahd is memorable for his brooding and his melancholy and his, you know, dreariness. And the same way Han Solo is memorable for his attitude. You know, Harrison Ford not giving him that sort of, you know, devil without a care. I'm, I'm so over this film and also so over this, you know, quest to save this girl makes that character. Otherwise, he's just a random smuggler. Yeah, no, it, absolutely. The the cool thing that uh, when it when it comes back to those stories, when when every time I see a poll and every time they revise this poll online, what is your favorite um uh, Dungeons and Dragons storyline for 5e, no matter how many more they release, Curse of Strahd always comes in first. <laughs> every time. Every time. And it still blows my mind. I saw one not too long ago. And, you know, you've got, you've got these amazing stories uh, by the team at Wizards, and, and I've loved every single one of them. Uh, but Curse of Strahd always wins, always wins the poll. So that's a that's a feather in Chris Perkins' cap right there, I I would say. Um, well, yeah, Chris is a very humble person. I've, I've only known him from watching him and seeing him from a distance at various conventions, and I'm pretty sure he'd uh, take the compliment but not gloat about it. But I want to kind of give you, Connor, some uh, uh, praise as well, because not only are you just uh, an author and a connoisseur, you're kind of a enabler of the RPG uh, community for positive things like your charity work. You want to talk more about that? Uh, well, uh, thanks for, for mentioning that. It's, uh, it's a big deal um, for the folks I work with. Um, we, uh, the uh, the community that we're in, the gaming community, uh, 
it's 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 not a new community. There's new blood coming in all the all the time, all the time. But it's but it's actually a maturing community. If you were to go back uh, to the late '70s, so before I started playing, right? Th- this was a game that was largely marketed towards teenage uh, t- towards teenagers. Um, those teenagers have gotten older. They've taught their kids, in some instances, taught their grandkids uh, how to play these games. And so um, the the community, which was was pretty young, is now it's it's pretty diverse in in ages. One one of my favorite things, one of my favorite comments ever. Somebody I had taken and posted a picture of an event I was running, and somebody had said, "Wow, I see teenagers and and senior citizens in that picture." Like. This is pretty cool. And I'm like, well, thanks. I, I, I take a lot of pride in that. But our community has matured. And, and because of that, um, uh, a lot of us have, have really taken the mindset um, and promoted the mindset that, you know, we're at this point in our life. We like sharing this hobby, but we also we'd like to give back in neat ways, too. You know, we've 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 gotten through. We've made it. We've established ourselves in careers. Um, and we'd like to try to give back to our communities in some way. And and for so many of us, gaming is such a, a core part of what we like to do uh, that the thought that you could actually give back to some to to the needy by gaming, they just sort of get married. Um, I've noticed. And so I observed that, and and from the very beginning uh, uh, of oh boy, I want to say. In the very beginning of my 5e organization work, uh, we began looking at how we could uh, incorporate the thought of giving into sharing our hobby, and we came up with some really interesting ways to do that. Um, so uh, what, uh, what we've done, uh, a group of us here in uh, the Midwest, is we started a 501c3 charity, uh, and the goal is to uh, support events, gaming events, that are interested in donating to local charities. Um, There's so many great causes in our communities that really could use the support, and and we, we focus very heavily on local charities because national charities are amazing and do great work. Don't ever, ever think that, I'm, that I am knocking a, a national charity that gives thousands and thousands of dollars to children's hospitals um, or or any of the other uh, great causes out there. Um, but there are some unsung heroes in our, in our communities, um, homeless shelters, food pantries, um, humane rescues, um, suicide prevention causes, uh, the area battered women's shelter. Um, they don't have the marketing budgets and the massive bankrolls and, and the huge funding. Uh, you know, the, the couple thousand you can raise from your charity, that makes a huge difference in what they're able to do for the community. And so we founded uh, D8 Summit Charities to help raise money for organizations like that. I mean, that takes a lot of effort and a lot of work, but at the same time shows really your heart, Connor. And that's kind of an amazing thing to do. So like on on like a not day-to-day basis, so, you know, it's probably not your day job, but how like was the typical structure from hearing about a project to helping it out and like what's that all entail? Uh, 
Well, uh, there's there's two ways that uh, the D8 Summit Charities gets involved. Um, one way is, I mean, we host our own events. Um, and so our, our major event is the, um, the D8 Summit Charity Convention. Uh, the next one's at the end of April, April 24th to 26th in Utica, Illinois. We rent out a uh, water park resort and, uh, and throw three of the, the best days in charity gaming out there. Um, we also will coordinate with a charity, let's say, or an event, let's say you're, you've run a, a gaming convention and you're like, you know what? Hey, we would like to incorporate a charity element. You could reach out to the D8 Summit and we'll turnkey that, that charity part for you. We'll send people out. Um, we'll run, uh, the, the charity uh, events, whatever things you decide you want, raffles, 50-50s, silent auctions, whatever those things are, um, the people that are attending your event get the full benefits of the 501c3 charity status, meaning maximum tax deductions for donations um, of, of, of cash or a product, and we just run it and then cut a check for the money we raise so that, so that local organization will then get, uh, whatever money you raise, whatever organization you decide, you know, if, if you really, if you have it in your mind, uh, I was just approached by a gentleman who wanted to start an event and he wanted to raise money for a burn children's summer camp. Um, and I, I said, absolutely, let's do this. What we can do is we can make sure that that fundraising happens. So all he needs to worry about is planning and running just a really good event. Um, and, and everything else we're able to handle. That's awesome. And you can give somebody that kind of peace of mind that there's a structure and there's something kind of established. So all they have to do is kind of a simple task. Well, I mean, maybe not a simple task as we all know, but uh, so at least they can kind of focus uh, and and define what they need to do without worrying about all the rest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so they can just worry about that event because planning the event is more than enough work. Having to also worry about running the charity side of it um, for, for a lot of folks, that's, that's too much. And, and in addition to that, I mean, you, you to have that legitimacy of the 501c3 there behind it so that the people that are there playing know, hey, there's a reputable charity or like a reputable charity organization behind this that's going to make sure that my money goes to this cause. Um, and, you know, uh, there's there's a huge network of charity organizations that we work with um, who know who we are and follow our actions. So it helps get them, you know, some exposure too for their event. It's, it's just a win all around. Um, it's a win for that organization. Um, it gives us a sense that we're giving back to these communities, those of us that are involved in the summit. And most importantly, it helps the people that whose lives are directly impacted by those local charities. I mean, that's where the big difference is made. A thousand percent, man. I, I think the world is a better place for that. And also, you kind of mentioned this coming from our community, having it kind of start older and how, kind of like, yes, there's new blood coming in, but because there, because we kind of already had a, um, you know, older generation that started before us, there's a little bit of levity and a little bit of consciousness that comes from something of a, a, of, of a place to where like we're older, we have more disposable income. We also recognize how hard it can, it can be. So we're kind of more maybe inclusive because of that, because I find at least in this new wave of people who are getting into D and D and RPGs that there's 
so much inclusivity, so much thoughtfulness and consideration than a lot of other fandoms that I've been a fan of. And I've always wondered if is just by the very nature of this being a cooperative activity as opposed to a competitive activity, is it? Or is it also you know a, a combination of factors like the fact that we are older and people who started with let's say D&D or GURPS or whatever way back when are, you know, now fully grown adults, maybe in the middle part of their life or a little bit later. So there's less of an, uh, an instinct to fall into that mob mentality uh, situation that happens sometimes. It could be. I, I, when, when folks have asked me why I, I just tell them that I, I, couldn't have pretended to be a hero for as long as I have without maybe taking a little bit of that and making it part of me too, right? Like you can't pretend to be a hero long enough without actually sort of becoming one yourself. And, you know, you can play some really good games. Uh, the, the D8 Summit brings in more than 20 authors each year to run the games that they wrote. Um, so going to a game, having the author run the game they wrote for you instead of having some other person run it for you, you're going to get some good experiences, but you're going to know at the same time, hey, I'm having fun, and the money that we're kicking toward this game is going to help the local homeless shelter, is going to fight teenage suicide. Like, And, and you don't get that experience from a lot of other gaming events. Um, you know, uh, gaming events where... You know, uh, you're, the, most of the money you're giving is is going into somebody's pocket. Yeah, um, there's something to be said, yeah, about uh, that. Um, which you know, anybody who has the opportunity to do a positive thing and turn their hobby into that is kind of uh, awesome. And it'd be great if also all the money and all those things was raised uh, to go to positive charities and things like that. I, I understand, you know, there's also, you know, some events just need to pay for the lights and the electricity and renting out. So, oh, yeah, it's really expensive. It's really expensive to put on a, a good con, including the D8 Summit. I, it's not cheap to put those those events on. Um, but uh, past the cost of paying for that event, at least for our, our charity event and a few others around the country. Um, uh, so Jasper's Game Day is an example. Save versus Hunger is another example. Um, anything past the cost of that event, 100% return to charity. No money is paid out to people in the form of salary uh, or anything like that. It, you just know it's all going to that cost. And that's pretty awesome. Are there... Any people like maybe by the personalities, your close friends that you, because you've been working in this um, with this project for a while, wish had more, you know, either social awareness uh, or should I say more social uh, recognition or more appreciation? Because you must be around a bunch of awesome people and not all of them can have, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers or a bunch of people appreciating them. Okay, so I know some unsung heroes, uh, people that do an awful lot of work and don't get a lot of attention for it, but put on some of the best events you'll, you'll attend. Um, so I'll just think of some of these people. Um, I'm going to go with my, I would say my buddy uh, Jody. Uh, so I, I believe Jody's a trainer. Um, <laughs> friend of the show yes uh, episode i believe one when we started talking about what is rpgs and critical role yes yeah yeah he's uh he helped uh teach me a lot 
uh, about gaming events and uh, he's always been just a very positive person um, I'm going to say Thomas Valley uh, zombie Joe Alfano uh, does fundraising work up in up in Wisconsin um, Fenway Jones and her dad is usually hiding behind her Aaron Jones um, they they uh, do a lot of work to prevent suicide all over the country um, Ginny Loveday um, does is is a very uh, very out there personality who does a lot of work in our community, and there's a team of people behind her um, who who make sure that some of these great events happen. Uh, the people that I work with at the D8 Summit, um, uh, they, we, let's see, uh, Nick and Kate, uh, my partner Jason works really hard. His mom, my niece. Uh, they, they work very hard um, and have worked very hard with this event for years. Um, they, there's there's a lot of really just, I mean, everywhere you could, uh, the, the people that give support and give their time and effort. There's there's a there's a guy who's painted minis every year for the D8 Summit for charity. Um, just just done it in his, on his own, and he still comes to the event. He attends like everybody else. He's never asked for anything to do it. He's just happy because he knows it goes to a good cause. I mean, you, you just see all this positivity out there. There's so much out there. So there's so many great things. Um, if you're ever getting bummed out by, by gamers on Twitter, just, you know, log out of Twitter and head to a charity event and, and see um, – see the positive positivity out there because it's everywhere. Yeah. And I'm glad we got an opportunity for at least to call some of those people who are probably, you know, there's way more that we haven't said and they deserve their uh, recognition as well. Uh, part of the reason I enjoy doing this podcast is I learned a long time ago when I started getting into this hobby or passion. It's not really a hobby now. I, I play it way too much and I give too much time of it to be a hobby. Um, this passion of mine was uh, how many amazing people are in this community and how many people I think are either great game masters who deserve to have friggin' shows and fans and people, you know, picking up from their skills or amazing players who are super considerate and selfless or come up with crazy wacky ideas, which makes the game great. Who I deserve, uh, you know, to have their stories told akin to a bard, you know, from every tavern or, you know, uh, gaming convention I hear of. Uh, so part of this even podcast in and of itself, aside from me getting an excuse to talk more about RPGs, is also an opportunity to have some people I think are brilliant and interesting on to maybe have more ears know about them and the great things that they do. So I'm glad we could uh, do that for at least a little moment there, Connor. Appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I'm, I'm happy to do it. There's, I know there's so many more people that I didn't even think about. Um, and, uh, you know, every, everybody out there, um, you've all made a huge impact. Um, and everything that you've done, either in creating a friendly space or helping out has led to the charity work that we do um, and the help of, you know, helping hundreds of people um, who find themselves in, in bad situations such as homelessness or in the pits of, of, of desperation and despair to find that glimmer of hope. And, and so you've all contributed. And even if I didn't say your name, so I'm really sorry. Oh yeah. We'd be here probably all night if we were just saying people's names. But um, I'm going to I'm going to say you've probably done so many of these events and so many of these things. What do you think 
is your favorite? Oh, maybe not favorite is playing. Maybe I shouldn't have you pick your favorite. How about pick some moments or events from these uh, uh, events, uh, some moments and incidents from these events that you remember fondly or like stick in your mind? Okay. Um, the one that probably stuck the the one moment that stuck the most in my mind. That's actually really easy, and it has next to nothing to do with gaming. So I apologize. Um, so last year at the, at the D8 Summit, what happened, um, so we had the 2019 D8 Summit, and uh, our, our, our community's friend, Rob Silva, uh, just a, a powerhouse in our community, he was bigger than life and louder than life and, and such a fun person. He passed away suddenly. And so there was an outpouring of support um, for the uh, for D8 Summit and and the work that we did because he he was a fan of of the work that we did he believed in it so there was an outpouring of support for that um, the area homeless shelter that's a, a big beneficiary of the work that we do they approached me in the middle of a convention I'm not even kidding I'm running around I'm exhausted like running a convention putting in 16 to 20 hour days for a whole weekend uh, and solving this problem and helping this person and and not really relaxing or eating, they approach me and I'm just exhausted. And they say, hey, uh, Connor, I'm like, what? They're like, we just wanted to let you know that we really appreciate the work that th this organization has done to help us. You've helped so many people. We're adding a new wing uh, to, our, to our, homeless, our homeless shelter uh, um, and adding family rooms so that families that find themselves homeless will have somewhere to stay together and intact until they can get back on their feet. We want to name that room after Rob. I'm like, excuse me? They're like, yeah, we're going to put a plaque on the door that says that this room is dedicated in memory, Rob Silva, and every family that comes through that door and this helped, you know, will know a little bit about him. Uh, and at that point, I was exhausted, and I was hungry, and I was tired, and I just started crying. And it was pretty much an entire night of crying for me at that point, from there on out, having to get up on the microphone and tell everybody, and crying through that, and then talking to people after, and crying through that, and talking about now, and trying not to cry through this. It's um, like, if, if there's one moment... At a, at a convention that really made a big impact on me. It was it was that one moment. And that's awesome. And really deserving of a, of a good person like that to be forever remembered, not just by friends, but for all. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, I mean, hey, he ended up becoming a hero. His, his, his life story is going to be told for years and years and years. Just like, you know... Uh, we hope the adventures that we have of our of our fictional characters, except Rob Silva actually lived it, like he actually lived it. That is, that, that that does circle back to the thing you mentioned earlier about how like part of the reason you you did what you did is because you played hero for so long that it only made sense to try to be a little bit of that in your reality. That's part of the reason I think uh, I, I really do enjoy RPGs so much is because. Not only is it a creative endeavor, not only is it a you know community experience where you're around people. For me, I also noticed that it's always pushing uh, a, a positive forward. You want to create something, and the art of creating is, is a positive, optimistic thing. 
So even if you're playing, you know, say, a, a bad campaign or a dark, dreary campaign, you your characters push forward, you, you as a place, player push forward because you feel like something good's going to come of it. And I think that's a good attitude to have in life in general. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even when you're in the middle of that grind and you're working every day and you're not certain if anything you're doing is making a bit of difference, you know, you can escape for a little bit into a world where um, where you where you can. And it's it's nice when in the real world we can do things that actually do make that positive difference and you can just look and see it. It's pretty awesome. So. So if you had a uh, table, live or dead, historical figures, RPG figures, or even fictional characters, you're at a table, you're either dungeon master, game master, or you're just a player, who do you want around you? I'll say four or five people. Okay. Well, how about this? Give me a minute to think about it. Why don't you say some figures that you would pick, Don? Sure. I mean, right off the bat, um, I'm, I'm a history buff. So uh, there's a lot of people from history I would always be interested in. I, I want a like Alexander the Great or a Sun Tzu, some sort of battlefield general to be there because I like I like having a player who's the tactically minded one. I like the fact that there's uh, going to be in my party because I'm trying to also create kind of a like well uh, balanced party as well. I want somebody to play like the clerics, so like a Martin Luther King type or a Gandhi type, Mother Teresa, you know, somebody. Uh, Joan of Arc, somebody who's well, she'd probably be a paladin. Now, honestly, now that I think about it, but like, I, I definitely want somebody there to also level off that analytical side with obviously more uh, emotional and RP. So that's probably my second. Um, who's running it? Ultimately, uh, I love the voice of Stephen Fry. I think he has such an amazing way of making anything sound interesting, even the mundane. So I think just listening to him dm like you walk down a dark corridor like i'm just going to fall in love no matter what um and so probably let's i think i have one or two more things left um honestly any any one of my party from any of my games because i enjoy those people they're my friends as well as my uh you know players because uh, i jam all my stuff i'm never a player unfortunately it's the bane of being a gm when you have all the materials and you know all the rules and you have a world already built it's very easy for you to gm but that also means you never get to play you never get to play yeah, yeah. oh yeah Oh, but, so, try try running a convention because then you don't get the GM or play. Yeah, <laughs> I feel, you know, I, I you met some of the people you mentioned like Ginny and uh, Paige and some other people. Like, uh, I, I've I, I've had the opportunity to meet hang, hang out with sometimes on and off the convention floors. But the thing I always kind of talk to them about is how uh, they spend so much time running around doing stuff that they're never actually playing the games. Or they're always conscious of the things going around, and I, that's unfortunate because I always enjoy the fact that you know I can go to a table at any time at a convention, and always be able to you know roll some dice. Whereas for them, they're trying to make sure that experience is available, so they're never at the tables because they're trying to make sure people are there. And if there's too many people, we have more DMs. And if there's not, you know, DMs are being taken care of to have enough breaks as a food. Is convention going to kick us out because of the sprinklers that went off all of a sudden? Like there's so many. Um, plates spinning in the air that unfortunately they don't get to play. So yeah, I'll say I'll say my my, my group is probably you know Dungeon Master Stephen Fry, you know Gandhi slash Martin Luther King with Alexander the Greater Sun Tzu, and a couple of my guys, and we're just having a ball. Yeah, I, I was really excited. So 
so uh, Paige and and Ben are coming to the DA Summit again this year. I was really excited because um, I, I enjoy spending time around them as much as I can. Um, they've been they've been huge supporters. So it's it's cool to hear that you're like mentioning these names. I'm like, yeah, I know them. They're great. Um, they they they've done a lot for the community and and done it in that capacity where if they're doing it right, you don't even really know they're there. Um, and I, I'm not even going to lie. I got a message. Would you like us to run for you? And I'm like, if you're flying all the way up here, why don't you just play and have a good time? You know, we'll 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 make sure it happens. You 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 do so much work. Why don't you just relax a little? Yeah, I will say one of the coolest things is I had the opportunity to help out with uh, Super Geeked Up, run their San Diego Comic-Con panels for the past two years. Shout out to Jeff, if you're listening, Jeff Burns. Uh, And it's one of the funniest things is the first time he asked me, because a friend of a friend had mentioned me being an RPG guy, uh, he just kind of gave me this message. and He's like, hey, you want a professional badge to San Diego Comic-Con? And it was like, yeah, but there's one caveat. I'm like, what's that? He goes, you need to run D&D. And I'm like, dude, I pay you to run D&D. Like, I love running D&D. You're damn right I'm going to take that. Um, I, I think it's really awesome when friends come out and, you know, word comes out that people are good at what they do. I thank the guy, my, one of my players, who actually got me uh, to Jeff uh, for giving me a, a great, glorious, you know, um, write-up that I probably am not as impressive as, I, as, I, as, as he wrote me up as. But thank you very much. I think it was Blair, so appreciate you, Blair. Yeah. The... Um... So it, it's it's really tough to to try to narrow it down, and and I guess I would I would pick the people that I think um, are meaningful and and maybe maybe contributed a lot uh, to the to the story um, that 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 I enjoy. So uh, the people that that I very likely the, here's the people I would choose. It's 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 a ridiculous list. Um, I would choose Malcolm X. Um, because, uh, because I would like, I, I really like having a player there that I know isn't going to take any shit. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and so, I mean, uh, you're talking about a dynamo for action in, in American history. Uh, that man is one of them. Um, I would choose, um, oh, I would, I would choose my grandmother. Um, I, 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 uh, she she passed away some years ago, but I've never known a softer human being in my life. Um, so you're talking about that religious one, like like she would be the one to be like, do we have to fight the goblins? Is there anything that could be redeemed? How about we make them something to eat? Um, that would be her, um, and I I would love to see that around a table. I never got a chance to. Um, I would choose uh, Samuel Clemens. Um, I, I really appreciate that sense of humor, dry, witty, pointed. Um, I think I would laugh uncontrollably if he were involved. Um, I would, I would certainly invite my, my friend Rob Silva back for a game. We never got to play enough. Um, uh, and, and to have opportunity to share a table with him would be great. Um, I would I would ask Deborah Wool to DM that. Deborah Ann Wool from uh, Relics and Rarities and Ameri- uh, like Netflix and stuff like that. Yep, she <sighs> love she her. has. Love her. I love her too. She's she's great, and she has that 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 quirky feel to her that that seems really tangible. Like she she can weave a story, and you could believe you're there. 
Um, and and I, I think I'd like to have her run that almost certainly we would be a train wreck of an adventuring party. <laughs> but, but I think I think that's the, kind of the point. Like when you make these tables, there's a party that's already like, I'm not even caring about what the adventure is. I want the personalities to sort of create a conflict in and of itself because, you know, we both did the same thing to where we had strong versus more like soft and more passive versus more aggressive. And like, I, I can't imagine the reactions uh, that Deborah would have because I love her death of, of, of the work I've seen her do. I think she's probably one of my favorite DMs because uh, it, there's something to be said about somebody who loves their art so much that it, they can't even stop themselves from like putting on a big smile while they do it. And watching her DM and uh, obviously online and stuff like that, you can tell that behind her playing a character, she's absolutely elated. And that's exactly how I feel when I play sometimes. She, she has found her joy. Um, that it, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful thing to see. It really is. Well, as we're wrapping up, man, we've had a lot of great things to say. If people want to follow you on the internet and see what you're up to, what would be the best means to? Well, um, so if you want to follow me on the internet, you can always friend me on Facebook. Uh, you can look for me, Jonathan Connor self, or you can add me at Twitter at John Connor Self, J-O-N-C-O-N-N-O-R-S-E-L-F. Additionally, you could uh, follow the work that we do through D8 Summit Charities. Uh, Facebook search for for the letter D, the number eight, one word, just like the die. Uh, Summit Charities Incorporated will take you right to our Facebook page. um, Or you could follow us at Twitter at the letter D, number eight, and then the word Summit, all is one word. Um, additionally, I, you could just get out and find me cause I'm really easy to find. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm out there in the community quite a bit and I make the convention circuit. If there is a fundraiser convention anywhere, uh, I'm often there uh, giving my time or if there's an event that I really believe in what they do. Um, so you'll often find me in the adventures league area. Um, at conventions such as, let's see, I'll go through the ones I'm going to next. So I'm going to ZeechCon next in Detroit, Michigan. Then I will be at GaryCon, also running, uh, helping to run the Adventures League experience uh, for attendees there. Then I'll be at HoosierCon in Indianapolis, Indiana in mid-April. And then the D8 Summit at the end of April in Utica, Illinois. Then going a little bit later in the year, um, I will be at jasper's game day events i will be at game hole con in madison wisconsin um so uh i i work in whatever capacity fundraising running uh D experiences for players sometimes dming in a pinch and uh and of course hitting the bar afterwards and telling good stories so you, you can find me at any of those events and if you do see me uh you'll if I'm not in cosplay, um, I'm almost always wearing a hat and some camouflage somehow. Walking up, say hi. Um, I am a big smile, hello, and hugger, and uh, I'd love to meet you. So if you make it on out, say hi for sure. And if you want to follow me in this podcast, my personal Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. If you want to send us some mail, it's myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. And obviously you can find us wherever podcasts are found, be it uh, Podbean, be it iTunes. We're now on Spotify. We're all the places you want to be. 
If you had a good time, please give me some sort of feedback. I would love to hear back from you. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table.